the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. It just happens to be the first Thursday in May, which means it's the National Day of Prayer. We'll talk more about that momentarily, but we'll also take a look at the day's headlines and a conversation with four candidates who are seeking a position on the North Clackamas School Board. Uh, Angela Peterson, Tara Nelson, Amy Reiner, and Courtney Swearsberg. These are pretty impressive women. Uh, We'll talk with them later in the second hour. My main point, hey, find out who's running and vote. Uh, The truth is the... This ballot that has the school board positions on it tends to be the least participated. Well, I've got a dangling participle. Let me rephrase that. The um, election that most that fewer people (laughs) anyway, vote. Half of the state budget is for education. School board members matter. Uh, There are all sorts of resources available to help you in that regard. I know Oregon Family Council, Oregon Right to Life, they have... um, some resources to help you, but you also have the voters pamphlet. Read it and cast an informed ballot. Anyway, four candidates from North Clackamas County who are sort of running uh, together to transform <clears throat> the school board there. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned, it being the National Day of Prayer, looking forward to focusing on that that uh, fact. Well, how did the National Day of Prayer begin? The government of a country never gets ahead of the religion of the country. These are the words of President Calvin Coolidge way back in 1924. He stood at the intersection of Mount Pleasant and 16th Street in Washington, D.C. to dedicate the statue of Methodist circuit preacher Francis Asbury. Well, Coolidge knew that faith in God and public prayer were among the seeds the founders sowed to plant freedom and democracy in America. He knew they would always be vital for its survival and its growth. Now, I'm not suggesting the United States is a perfect country, I didn't come here by um, engraved invitation. My forebears came in the hull of a ship as slaves. So I recognize the warts and the um, flaws in our nation's history, but there was a thread that ran through it, and I am grateful for that thread. My family embraced Christianity, and it was their faith that carried them through to my generation and beyond. Well, a century and a half prior to John Hancock, He helped author the first uh, Continental Congress proclamation of prayer in 1775, calling on the colonies to observe a day of public humiliation, fasting and prayer. Later, then General George Washington echoed that call in 1779. Well, these and other early leaders knew the true hope of our country was not in politics, but in prayer, not in the power of government, but in the power of God. Well, this posture of national prayer found early in the history is again echoed back in 2023 on the National Day of Prayer. The theme found in James 5.16, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. When I was growing up, it was the prayer of the righteous availeth much. 
whatever version uh, you are familiar with, the uh, truth of the scripture stands. Well, as a nation, we have plenty to confess and much that needs healing. And that journey begins and ends with prayer. Prayer is more than an individual conversation with God. It's also a corporate act of repentance and renewal. Throughout Scripture, God instructed his people to pray together. And in Second Chronicles 7.14, it's arguably the most quoted passage when praying for our nation. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, this was given in a context. He's talking to the nation of Israel, but I think the principle applies today as well. For almost uh, the next 300 years, the people strayed so far from God that they worshipped pagan statues in the temple, let prostitutes do business in the temple courts, and sacrificed children to idols. Then King Josiah rose to the throne, and one day he read the law of the Lord for the first time in that generation. Overcome, he repented, and he called for prayer. Then he read the word of God to the people. He destroyed the idols, he ended pagan practices, and reestablished proper worship. Now, those of you who have been in Bible Study Fellowship this year are very familiar with that history. Well, today in America, we find a land full of people straying far from God. Church attendance is plummeting, and many continue to push for the sacrifice of children to the idol of my body, my choice, my convenience. History may not repeat itself, but it can echo the past for evil and for good. On February 7th, 1952, at the invitation of then Speaker of the House, Sam Rayburn, the Billy Graham's, uh, the Reverend Billy Graham stood on the steps of the U.S. Capitol and preached. What a thrilling, glorious thing it would be to see the leaders of our country today kneeling before Almighty God in prayer. What a thrill would sweep this country. What renewed hope and courage would grip the Americans at this hour of peril. This is 1952. Well, the next day, Congress proposed legislation for an annual National Day of Prayer that was signed into law by President Eisenhower. The government of a country never gets ahead of the religion of a country. Well, during this year's National Day of Prayer, remember the words of President Coolidge. Take this opportunity to collectively call on the Lord to hear our prayers, to forgive our sins and bring the healing and freedom to our nation that the government cannot. This is the 71st. National Day of Prayer. Well, the annual National Day of Prayer broadcast expects to reach nearly 110 million U.S. households through television, radio, and online platforms this year. In fact, today. The annual broadcast, which will focus on James 5.16 and the theme of praying fervently in righteousness, will air for 30 minutes Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on a variety of platforms. Now, that would be 5 o'clock our time. The broadcast can be heard on Pray.com, the National Day of Prayer Task Force website, Facebook.com slash Pray, and many other platforms. In addition to the broadcast, thousands of in-person events will be held and were held by National Day of Prayer Task Force volunteer coordinators in various areas in every state and U.S. territory, including the states of Oregon and Washington. The co-host of this year's National Day of Prayer broadcast is the Reverend Samuel Rodriguez. He's senior pastor of New Season Church in California and president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. Pastor Rodriguez told Christian Post in an interview that the National Day of Prayer is more important now in 2023 than ever before in American history. And I think we believe that every year as we see the decline in our nation 
and in the soul of our nation. As a nation, we've never been down this road. It's a road of moral relativism, a road of cultural decadence, unprecedented strife and discord, Pastor Rodriguez said. The 2023 National Day of Prayer carries an incredible amount of spiritual and moral weight as it pertains to the advancement of this idea we call the American experiment. We're praying for an awakening in America. We're praying for unity. We're praying for repentance. We are praying for hope. We're praying for truth to overcome lies, for love to silence hate, and for America's problem to become America's testimony. Well, Pastor Rodriguez said he believes there are two major issues plaguing American society as a whole. Number one, protecting children from the architects of darkness and coming together in unity. Our children and our children's children are targeted by ideological and social constructs that are counterintuitive to God's purpose with respect to life. Rodriguez went on to say, we are so divided politically. We are so divided culturally. We are so divided ideologically. We must come together around this idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Pastor Rodriguez added that he and others will be asking God to show up, believing that the most important outcome that we can experience out of this National Day of Prayer is an awakening. The task force president, Kathy Branzell, will co-host the broadcast with Rodriguez. In a statement, Branzell said that she's excited that Pastor Rodriguez will be part of the observance. The National Day of Prayer task force has had the privilege of steering and stewarding this day for decades, and we take the responsibility of mobilizing unified public prayer for America very seriously. Reverend Rodriguez is a true prayer warrior, and I'm looking forward to look to locking shields and running into this spiritual battle for the soul of America together, praying fervently for one another, our neighbors and our nation. In an interview, Christian evangelist Nick Hall said the National Day of Prayer should be a day that focuses on praying for the nation's leaders. Hall is the founder of the ministry Pulse, an evangelism movement chiefly centered on witnessing to young people with a mission to cause revival. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on this National Day of Prayer. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Today is the National Day of Prayer. We're talking about it. Also coming up later in the program, a conversation with some of the candidates for school board. Yeah, that ballot you got, that uh, that's pretty important. School boards. I think we recognize now, perhaps more than before, how significant uh, those individuals are in shaping the course, not just of a particular school district, but the course of the nation. So take them seriously. Maximize your uh, influence and vote. Well, the Bible commands us to pray for our leaders. No matter who's in the White House, we know who's on the throne. And, you know, you pray for President Biden and for Vice President Harris. Uh, You pray for wisdom. You pray for godly counsel. Um, They have a job that I don't think many of us would want. And so rather than criticizing, although sometimes scrutinizing is a right thing to do, I think we should be praying for them, for their families, for their safety, and again, for God to heal our land. Um, Prayers for them, just like um, praying for oneself and anybody in one's life. Uh, You consider it a huge privilege to be somebody who's born in this country, and uh, more of us need to pray than ever before. We're really trying to rally believers to unite to pray for revival. I think it's an opportunity that we should make the most of. We're excited and we love National Day of Prayer. 
Uh, We love the whole National Day of Prayer Task Force, and we really believe that God is moving. And when God is moving, you just throw up the uh, sails and get out of the way. Um, uh, Pastor Hall added that uh, he believes the National Day of Prayer is significant because it is a unique day in American and our government that set aside uh, to ask us to pray for everybody who complains about all the ills and problems of our country. I would say that that uh, here's an active uh, day in our nation's calendar where we can observe this day of prayer for God to have mercy and to heal our land. We urgently need him. We need his mercy. We need him to change us. And so uh, encourage everybody to take heart and make the most of the opportunity. Pray.com co-founder Matt Potter, who helped with the production of the pre-recorded broadcast, which you can see tonight at uh, beginning at five Pacific time, said that the National Day of Prayer is important because it's a reminder to everyone that they need that personal relationship with their Lord and Savior and to be communicating through prayer to our Lord and Savior. It's a great reminder to everyone in the country to pray for their country, to pray for their leaders, that they're... Um, Uh, making hard decisions every single day to be praying for their local communities, military and things that um, they may not pray for every day. Well, this is our quest. So why do we pray for America? That's the country to which we have been assigned, if you will, as ambassadors. God is sovereign and nothing comes as a surprise to him. Whether we face fluctuating economics, and we do, threats from abroad, unrest at home and other troubling circumstances, God the Father is not caught unaware. Through prayer, we're able to tap into his wisdom, his strength and protection and peace. He stands ready to respond to our needs when we humbly ask for divine intervention in the affairs of men. As we pray for America, whose Pledge of Allegiance recounts that we are one nation under God and whose currency states that in God we trust, we want Americans to encounter the God who rules over their country, who rules over every country. He who forms the mountains, creates the winds, and reveals his thoughts to man. He who turns dawn to darkness and treads the high places of the earth. The Lord God Almighty is his name. Amos 4.13 He is the one who gave us this promise in Second Chronicles. I think it bears repeating. 7th chapter, 14th verse. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. As we humbly and diligently seek him, we'll be changed and we'll see transformation in America through prayer. So how do we pray for America? Well, by praying into the seven centers of influence in our country. The first, government. Pray for your leaders as well as the judges in our courts. Ask God to grant them wisdom to act with integrity. You can find verses for inspiration in 1 Kings, the third chapter, 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, Proverbs eleven three, and in Romans, the 13th chapter, verses 1 and 2. We can pray for the federal government. Consider praying for the president, the vice president, cabinet members, congressional leaders, and the Supreme Court justices. For state government, our legislatures are in session. Consider praying for your governor, executive leaders, legislative leaders, judicial leaders, and pray for local government. Consider praying for your mayor, the city council, police chief, fire chief, judges, county officials, and pray for those who serve in the military. Second Chronicles 32 verses 6 through 8 says this, He appointed military officers over the people and assembled them and encouraged them with these words, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of the of Assyria and the vast army with him. 
With him only is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord, our God, to help us and to fight our battles. Now he's speaking to a specific people. He's referring to a specific battle. But those who are willing to lay down their lives for the protection and safety of others, we need to pray for them, for perseverance to endure hardship, for wise leadership who inspire respect from those under their command, for protection and support for the families they have left behind. We need to pray for the media, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 4, 8 says we need to pray that decision makers within the media realize they can make a profit by producing uplifting projects as well as the others. Christians in media to find favor and be filled with creative ideas that bring kingdom principles and life-giving messages to the public. We need to pray for business. Exodus 31, 3 and 4 says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working, and it goes on. Pray for the impartation of ideas and resources to open principled businesses, especially in areas that need an economic boost. Pray for Christian workers to display Christ-like humility and service to their co-workers. Pray for education. If you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 2, verses 3 through 6. Pray for a safe atmosphere, uh, conducive to learning, for excellence in educators for equal opportunities for every student to achieve their full potential. And along with that prayer, vote. School board members are on your ballot today. Pray for the church. So then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Colossians 2, 6 and 8. Pray that the church would find a new zeal and commitment to the mission and purpose of Jesus Christ. Unity with the with and among churches to reveal God's love to the world and integrity that God's people look and act differently from the world. And finally, we need to pray for family. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Pray for unity and love in individual families that reach out in hospitality toward others and establish healthy relationships between parents and children. This is the National Day of Prayer. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break and be right back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Hey, just a heads up, coming up in the next hour, a conversation with four candidates for the school board in the North Clackamas School District. There are lots of other candidates on the uh, ballots that are on your desk, on your table in the uh, election that's coming up. We'll uh, talk with four candidates as a way of reminding you that this is an important election. It is consequential, and I hope you'll take it seriously and vote. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Well, the president issued a proclamation on this National Day of Prayer, as has been the case since it began. And this president, Joe Biden, he issued this statement. In periods of peace and prosperity and in times of struggle and strife, Countless Americans turn to prayer to seek guidance, bolster our faith, and brace our spirits when we need it most. 
Prayer is both a personal and communal act composed of our most intimate thoughts and a practice observed by multitudes across our diverse nation in every language, culture, religion, and belief system. On this National Day of Prayer, we recognize the profound power of prayer grounded in deep humility and hope. The right to pray is enshrined in our Constitution and stamped firmly in the American tradition. The belief that prayer can move mountains is, at its core, a belief in making the impossible possible. There is nothing more American than believing in the endless possibilities of what we can do when we do it together. Throughout our history, prayer has empowered moral movements and fueled efforts to strengthen our democracy constitutional republic it would deeply it was deeply rooted in the fight to abolish slavery and the expansion of voting rights and voter access and it continues to compel us to uphold our founding creed that all of us are created equal are made in the image of god and deserve to be treated with dignity and equality throughout our lives we will never fully know how prayer was has quietly influenced every aspect of american life bringing comfort to service members on the battlefield grounding the spirits of astronauts in space guiding the healing hand of medical professionals tending to our loved ones and fortifying the faith of millions of worshipers in every corner of our nation. There is hardly an aspect of American life that is not touched by the silent supplications of prayer to fulfill our hopes and our aspirations. Earlier this year, I was honored to speak at a Sunday service at the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, now pastored by Senator Ralph Warnock. In that sacred place, praying and contemplating Dr. King's moral vision of a beloved community, we were reminded that so much more unites us than divides us. We are all bound together by our love of country and our belief in democracy. Today, I pray that we can see each other as we should, not as enemies, but as neighbors, and not as adversaries, but as fellow Americans and human beings. Only when we see ourselves in each other will justice, as Scripture tells us, roll down like waters, righteousness become a mighty stream, and the American and America, rather, fulfill its true promise as a land of liberty and justice for all. The Congress, by public law 10307, has amended, has called on the president to issue each year a proclamation designating the first day of Thursday in May, the first Thursday in May, rather, as the National Day of Prayer, and it goes on. With the formal end. We come with fervent hearts to praise you, Lord. You are the word, the way, the truth, and the life. The Alpha and Omega, Lion of Judah, Almighty God, who was and is and is to come. You clothed yourself in flesh and dwelt among us to remove our sin and clothe us in your righteousness that we might dwell with you forever and ever. With broken, humbled hearts, we repent of our sins confessing to you our faithlessness, prayerlessness, and disobedience. Forgive us for our doubt, our prideful and quarrelsome words that reveal our unclean hearts. Cleanse us and renew a right and steadfast spirit within us, we pray. With grateful hearts, we thank you fervently for the blessings in our life and throughout America, that they are more than we are able to count. We will remember your grace and testify to your goodness in all generations. Help us to refrain from complaining, but instead be prompted to pray faithfully in every circumstance. Teach us to have a content heart, knowing you are always enough for every need. As the church, we commit to pray and love our neighbor and nation as you loved us, that our reputation in this world would be rooted in your love. Holy Spirit, work and overflow through us in every prayer, thought, word, and deed. May our character, conversations, and conduct reflect the righteousness in which you clothed us and command us to live. 
With an obedient heart, we put on the full armor of God. Your breastplate of righteousness guards our hearts, from which flows the springs of life. We pray fervently for our communities and country, the people who are in the church, family, education, business, and workplace, military, government, arts, entertainment, and media. Every person is your workmanship, fearfully and wonderfully created and loved. With hopeful hearts, we pray that all would choose to receive your love and follow you. We pray that America would confess Jesus is Lord and reflect your righteousness in every sphere of influence and every aspect of our lives. We ask that heavenly hope would flood our hearts, silence our hate, and that you will heal our land. Believing you, all you are, all you said, and all you have promised, we pray fervently in righteousness and avail much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That is the National Day of Prayer for America. Well, turning to some of the day's headlines and then anticipating a conversation in our second hour with candidates for the North Clackamas School District. They're running for the school board position. In fact, they're running as a group. We'll tell you more about that later in the program. A suspected gunman is in custody after an active shooter situation left at least one person dead and four others injured in Atlanta's downtown area. But he is now in custody. Lawmakers from both sides of the aisle blasted the president for sending 1,500 troops to the U.S.-Mexico border. Some lawmakers on the Democrat side have expressed concern over the president's decision to send the troops, the active duty U.S. military, citing the Posse Comitatus Act, sending them to the U.S. border, saying it signals militarization that is unacceptable. The White House announced Tuesday that 1,500 active duty personnel would be deployed to the border to provide administrative support and fill security gaps for up to 90 days. These troops will not be working in law enforcement capacity, the administration said. The militarization of the border is unacceptable, Senate Committee on Foreign Relations Chair Bob Menendez, a Democrat from New Jersey, said. He added there is already a humanitarian crisis in the Western Hemisphere and deploying military personnel only signals that migrants are a threat that require our nation's troops to contain. Nothing could be further from the truth, end quote. Well, critics of the decision have also compared his decision to actions taken by his predecessor, former President Trump, who deployed active duty troops to the border as migrant caravans were looming in Mexico. And while Biden frequently criticized those policies, the White House also brushed such a, a comparison aside. In other news, Senators Kristen Sinema from Arizona, an independent, and James Langford, a Republican from Oklahoma, called out the administration for not enforcing border laws, singling out false statements made by White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre that illegal immigration has gone down since the president took office. Langford and Cinema are engaged in bipartisan efforts to combat the border crisis. Cinema hit back in at Jean-Pierre and said, obviously, the border is not secure. Anyone with eyes can see that. And anyone who lives in a border state like I do, born and raised in Arizona, actually takes offense at comments like that because they're just factually not true. The reality is the border communities in my state are suffering already, and that's before the end of Title 42. Langford also called out the statements made by Jean-Pierre and took issue with the White House's numbers, arguing that the administration wants people not to believe their own eyes. Cinema shared how small communities in her border state are suffering because of the border crisis. Just last week, I held a hearing in a border subcommittee and brought up Republican mayor and a Democrat mayor, both representing small border towns in Arizona. 
And we just asked them what it's like every day in their town. She said there are high-speed chases going on through the city of Sierra Vista right now with young teens driving cars and sometimes being killed or causing the death of others transporting drugs and other migrants through these communities. She said it is not secure. It is not safe. Federal prosecutors are reportedly close to deciding whether to charge President Biden's son, Hunter, in a four-year investigation involving tax and gun-related violations. Sources close to the matter told The Washington Post that U.S. Attorney David Weiss is near a decision in the case, but the exact timetable remains unclear. Asked to comment earlier Wednesday on the report, White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre referred all questions to the Department of Justice. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show Back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we're going to talk with four candidates for the North Clackamas School District. These four are running together in order to uh, bring some sanity to education. You've got a ballot that's been mailed out to every registered voter in the state of Oregon. It's due back later this month, and you have an opportunity to have a significant influence on education in Oregon that covers about half the budget uh, for the state of Oregon. U.S. Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona is blaming book banning for the dismal U.S. history and civics scores released Wednesday by the National Assessment of Education Progress, better known as the nation's report card. Numbers indicated a dip of five points in U.S. history, reaching 248 on a point scale of 500, and only 13 percent of students' test scores were at or above the proficient level in the subject per the Associated Press. Civics scored on a scale ranging from 0 to 300. It fell for the first time since 1998, dropping two points to 150 between 2018 to 2022. Numbers also showed that just 22% of those tested scored at or above the proficient level in the subject. The most recent declines are the latest indication of COVID-era school policies lasting impact on student performance, particularly with strident um, closure and quarantine protocols and transition to remote learning. Overall, numbers released on Wednesday indicate 40 percent of eighth graders tested uh, scored below the basic proficiency standard in U.S. history, meaning, according to the Associated Press, they likely cannot identify simply historic concepts in primary or secondary sources. In civics, 31 percent of students performed below expectations. School board election. Hope you'll cast an informed ballot. Montana Governor Greg Gianforte uh, signed a slate of pro-life bills on Wednesday intended to protect the unborn as well as medical providers who have ethical objections to abortion. Today we stand together on the steps of the People's House to mark another historic day for Montana, the governor said. Today we are protecting the lives of the most vulnerable among us, unborn children. House Bill 625, the Infant Safety and Care Act, requires medical providers to give life-saving care to these infants. The bill, sponsored by Representative Carrie Seekins Crow, a Republican out of Billings, Montana, recognized that these infants as legal persons deserving of medical care like any other newborn. A majority of Montana voters struck down a similar referendum in 22 in the midterm ballot. The bill addresses some concerns opponents to the referendum had last fall, such as lessening penalties for practitioners who violate the law from criminal to civil according to the governor's office. 
U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service expected to publish regulations limiting hunting and fishing equipment allowed on federal land. The new regulations from the Biden administration in collaboration with environmentalists would limit hunting and fishing in multiple states across the country. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is expected to publish regulations that would limit the equipment allowed on public refuge uh, properties and expand the area where cost-effective lead ammo, or rather lead ammo and fishing tackle is banned. International Order of Theodore Roosevelt Executive Director Luke um, Hilgeman uh, spear- is he- spearheading an effort to get constitutional amendments on the ballot in several states in 2024 to secure the right to hunt and fish across the country. What we see here with the rule coming out of the Biden administration is the potential to close millions of acres of public lands that had been opened under the Trump administration to hunting and fishing. Uh, they're doing this basically by banning the most common forms of hunting cartridges that most people buy off the shelf and requiring that no lead cartridges be used of any on any federal lands. If that happens, that's uh, going to force people to go back out and buy different kinds of cartridges that simply aren't available at the levels that uh, it needs uh, to be in order for us to meet the demands of hunters in the field, he went on to say. Well, the group is aiming to secure the constitutional right to hunt and fish in all 27 states that don't currently have the right to do so, with Florida, Ohio, South Dakota, and Iowa, the four priority states for the 2024 ballot. Right now, only 23 states have an explicit state constitutional right to hunt and fish, but IOTR, the organization, believes that a majority of the states can achieve that right by 25. The Florida legislature overwhelmingly passed a resolution on Friday that would make it a constitutional right to hunt and fish in that state, which will now head to the ballot in 2024 for final consideration. And there are others. Rapidly deploying artificial intelligence technology may have prevented the Boston Marathon bombing, but it might also become law enforcement's newest nightmare. That was the message from Ed Davis who was Boston's police commissioner during the deadly terrorist attack on the 15th of April, 2013. A decade after that plot that killed three people and injured hundreds, he said AI will ultimately improve uh, investigations and allow many dangerous criminals to be brought to justice. Use of artificial intelligence systems applied to secret and top-secret databases could very well have prevented the Boston Marathon bombing, he said. However, it may be years before this happens. Right now, the government needs to be aware of the downsides and mitigate the risks of AI. Davis, who has since retired and founded a security consulting firm, testified at last week's Senate subcommittee hearing on emerging national security threats about how new technology, particularly AI, has changed policing in the last 10 years. Democrats and Republican lawmakers, including conservative firebrand Representative Matt Gates and leftist rising star Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, proposed a bill that would ban members of Congress from trading individual stocks. Several prominent lawmakers have been accused of in recent years of using their intimate knowledge about forthcoming regulations or economic tumult to purchase stocks at optimum times and reduce losses by selling shares. The legislative proposal entitled the Bipartisan Restoring Faith in Government Act would prohibit lawmakers, their spouses and their dependents from purchasing individual stocks or derivatives. Turns out they were lying when they called us crazy for believing they would actually take gas stoves away from us. Well, New York has become the first state to ban gas stoves and furnaces in new buildings. Senator Kirsten Sinema slammed White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre this week for falsely claiming that the U.S. southern border was secure, 
saying that her comments were just factually untrue. And after two drones crashed into the Kremlin early on Wednesday, Russia escalated its rhetoric, baselessly accusing the U.S. of orchestrating the attacks. Moscow originally blamed Ukraine for what it is calling an act of terrorism and an attempt to assassinate the Russian president. But on Thursday, Kremlin spokesperson argued the United States was undoubtedly behind the attack. We know very well that decisions on such actions and such terrorist attacks are made not in Kiev, but in Washington. Well, Peskov alleged Ukraine's military objectives are not determined by Kiev, but they are determined by Washington. And then those uh, goals are brought to Kiev so that Kiev fulfills them. In Washington, they must clearly understand that we know this. Both Ukraine and the United States have denied involvement in the alleged drone attack. It's all really simple. Russia has no victories, said Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Putin can't uh, uh, further motivate his society. He can't send his soldiers into death anymore, and he can't motivate his country anymore. Now he needs to uh, find a... Any possibility to motivate them. Mr. Peskov is lying. It's obviously a ludicrous claim. The U.S. had nothing to do with this, explained National Security Council spokesman John Kirby on Thursday, speaking on CNN's This Morning, adding adding rather that the Biden administration is still trying to confirm what happened. The U.S. has repeatedly denied claims it is intent on inflicting a strategic defeat on Russia, explaining it is simply providing weapons to a Ukraine defending itself from Russia's illegal invasion. The U.S. is sending Ukraine about $300 million in additional military aid, including an enormous amount of artillery rounds, howitzers, air-to-ground rockets, and ammunition as the launch of a spring offensive against Russia forces approaches, the Pentagon said on Wednesday. The new package includes Hydra 70 rockets, which are unguided rockets that are fired from aircraft. It also includes an undisclosed number of rockets for the highly mobile Uh, The high mobility artillery rocket system, uh, mortars, howitzer rounds, missiles and Carl Gustav anti-tank rifles. The weapons will be um, pulled from Pentagon stocks so that they can go quickly to the front lines. This is the 37th package of Pentagon stocks to go to Ukraine since the war began in February of last year. And it brings the total U.S. military aid to about thirty six billion dollars. Officials have said the weapons and other equipment will help as Ukraine prepares to shift from what has been a long and bloody winter stalemate focused on heavy fighting in Ukraine's east, particularly around the town of Bakhmut in the um, Donetsk province. The general staff of Ukraine's armed forces said Russia was continuing to concentrate its efforts on offensive operations in Ukraine's industrial east. The Federal Reserve on Wednesday approved its 10th interest rate increase in just little more than a year, uh, oh, um, uh, oh, a year, and dropped a tentative hint that the current tightening cycle uh, is at an end. In a unanimous decision, widely expected by markets, the central bank, their federal open market uh, committee, raised its benchmark borrowing rate by 0.25 percentage points. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. We'll finish up looking at some of the news headlines and then talk with four candidates for the North Clackamas School District. They want to serve on the school board. In fact, they want to serve together on the school board. There are four slots available for that race. We'll give them an opportunity to talk about why and to encourage you, whatever school district you happen to live in, to be informed and to cast an informed ballot. The school board, very important. Half of Oregon's uh, budget goes to education. 
We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. We're glad to have you with us. Coming up in our next couple of segments, a conversation with candidates for the North Clackamas School District. They want to serve on the school board. These candidates, Angela Peterson, Tara Nelson, Amy Reiner, and Courtney Swersbin are all on the ballot. Part of the reason I wanted to conduct the uh, uh, the interview was to encourage all of us to consider how consequential uh, the school board elections are. In fact, this tends to be the election where we have the fewest voters participate. And yet the second largest budget in the state of Oregon is for education. Here's an opportunity to maximize your influence by simply taking seriously the names on that ballot. We're going to talk to four candidates and why they want to run. And maybe that will uh, in- inspire all of us to take more seriously the great opportunity we have to determine who will chart the course for public education in the schools in our district. That's coming up in our next couple of segments. Olympian Tori Bowie passed away at the young age of 32. She was an American track star and three-time Olympic medalist. She's died, according to officials. She was 32. Uh, the agency that represented her initially announced the news in a tweet. Sports officials have since acknowledged that um, the news was correct, that she is dead. We're devastated to share this very sad news that Tori Bowie has passed away. The agency said we've lost a client, a dear friend, a daughter and sister. Tori was a champion, a beacon of light that shined so bright. We're truly heartbroken and our prayers are with the family and friends. She was reportedly found Tuesday in her Florida home, according to the Associated Press. No cause of death has been given by her management company as of yet. Today, the nation marks the 71st National Day of Prayer with gatherings all across the nation. Millions of Americans will mark the National Day of Prayer 2023 on Thursday, May 4th. This year's theme verse for the National Day is taken from the second part of James 516 found in the Bible's New Testament. The fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. It has been reworded for the sake of the day. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The verse reads in the King James translation, the National Day of Prayer was created as an annual observance by a congressional joint resolution back in 1952 and signed into law by President Harry S. Truman. It's been uh, held on this first Thursday of May, inviting people to pray for the nation. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said the U.S. is intensely engaged in seeking the release of Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich, who was wrongfully detained by Russia more than a month ago. Mr. Blinken said that he has spoken to Russia's foreign minister about the matter, noted that President Joe Biden and Russian Pre- President Vladimir Putin have a channel to discuss such cases. So we're engaged, Blinken said on Wednesday, speaking at a World Press Freedom Day event held by the Washington Post. I wish I could say that in this moment there was a clear way forward. We don't have that in this moment, but it's something that we're working every single day toward. The Surgeon General has discovered loneliness. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy issued an advisory this week warning Americans about the growing problem of social isolation. The negative health consequences associated with prolonged loneliness are so bad that Murthy equated it to smoking and obesity. He even acknowledged that the pandemic played a significant role in worsening the problem, asserting what COVID did is really pour fuel on a fire that was already burning. Mind you, this is the same Surgeon General who advocated for prolonged 
lockdowns, mask wearing outside and social distancing throughout the duration of the pandemic, even as many conservatives and healthcare professionals were warning of the dire consequence of such unnecessary and over the top policies would have on people's health and mental well-being. Now he's effectively ignoring his own role in escalating the problem. With experts like this, well, you can fill in the blank. On New York's gas gains or gas pains these days, once again, media pundits were proved wrong in their dismal um, uh, dismissal of Republicans, warning that Democrats were seeking to ban gas stoves. Well, on Tuesday, the New York legislature in a past uh, nation's first statewide uh, ban on gas stoves and gas heating in new construction. As the Washington Post reports, the law effectively requires all electric heating and cooking in new buildings shorter than seven stories by 2026 and in 2029 for taller buildings. Uh, We're sure this is entirely unrelated, but since 2020, the states of California and New York lost over $90 billion in tax revenue thanks to folks uh, fleeing these high-tax, regulation-heavy, crime-ridden, liberty-infringing states. The IRS is building an arsenal. Joe Biden preaches often and loudly about his desire to ban assault weapons, asserting that Americans have no need of these weapons of war. Yet when it comes to the federal government, he's mum. Over the uh, last three years, the IRS has been arming up at an alarming rate. According to a recent report from the government watchdog group Open Books or Open the Books, the federal tax agency has spent over $10 million on firearms, ammunition, and tactical gear since the uh, Biden administration took office. In a report titled The Militarization of Federal Bureaucracy, updated statistics through May 31st, 2023, Open the Books notes that from 2006 to 2020, the agency comply, compiled rather over $30 million in weapons, ammo, and gear Combine this news with the uh, president's expanding the IRS by some 80,000 agents and employees. And the obvious question is just what kind of tax collection is the IRS preparing for? The release of the Nashville Manifesto has been put on hold. Last week, the Nashville Police Department announced that it would release the manifesto from the transgender identifying woman who murdered six people including three children at the Covenant School just over a month ago. Now that uh, release has been put on hold, and the reason likely stems from objections from the Rainbow Mafia and left media talking heads. Well, they uh, fear that the manifesto would expose the murderer's motives as being born out of hatred against conservative Christians for rejecting transgender ideology. In other words, the manifesto could confirm the suspicion of the Covenant School attack was indeed an instance of a hate crime. It will be telling how long it takes for the manifesto to finally be made public. Now, we were told that they were in the process of um, making it public. Then there was a lawsuit that says you're not making it public. And they've uh, made the announcement now that we're not going to release it because there's a suit because we haven't made it public. It seems to me it could all just simply go away by releasing the manifesto, which they had said previously they were in the process of doing. Another Soros DA has neglected her duties. Janae Edmondson, a teenager who lost both of her legs, is one of many who have needlessly suffered due to George Soros-funded St. Louis District Attorney Kim Gardner's failure to uphold her oath of office and prosecute criminals who commit crimes. Edmondson's legs were crushed when a 21-year-old criminal who was on the streets thanks to, thanks to uh, the negligence of Gardner uh, hit her with a car he was speeding in. The incident prompted Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey to call for Gardner's resignation and issue a lawsuit. On Tuesday, the judge ruled that the case will go to trial, which is bad news for Gardner, who has yet to turn over a single document since the suit was raised two months ago. Hopefully this result in 
Um, This ouster will perhaps serve as a warning to others. The Fed has raised interest rates uh, to a 16-year high. White House Press Secretary Jean-Pierre is being shredded for claiming reopening schools was a priority for the president. Fox News primetime ratings have slumped in the days following Tucker Carlson's firing. History and civic scores have dropped for U.S. eighth graders on the national test. And students are blasting California school administrators for turning a blind eye after an assault by a trans-identifying male. On this day in history, 1626, Dutch explorer Peter Minuet lands on present-day Manhattan Island. 1886, at Haymarket Square in Chicago, a labor demonstration for an eight-hour workday turns into a deadly riot when a bomb explodes. 1932, Al Capone, convicted of income tax evasion, enters the federal penitentiary in Atlanta. Capone would be later transferred to Alcatraz Island. 1959, the first Grammy Award ceremony is held at Beverly Hills Hotel. 1961, the first group of Freedom Riders leaves Washington, D.C. to challenge racial segregation on interstate buses and in bus terminals. 1970, Ohio National Guardsmen open fire during an anti-war protest at Kent State University, killing four students and injuring nine others. 1998, the Unabomber, Theodore Kaczynski, is given four life sentences plus 30 years by a federal judge in Sacramento, California, under a plea agreement that spares him the death penalty. 2006, a federal judge sentences Zacharias Mosawi to life in prison for his role in the 9-11 terror attacks, telling the convicted terrorists, you will die with a whimper. 2009, President Barack Obama promises to crack down on companies that ship jobs overseas and duck U.S. taxes with offshore havens. 2009, Jeff Kepner of Augusta, Georgia, undergoes the nation's first double hand transplant at the University of Pittsburgh. And finally, in 2018, on this day in history, the Connecticut Supreme Court overturns the murder conviction of Kennedy cousin Michael Skakel and the 1975 bludgeoning death of his neighbor Martha Moxley and Greenwich finding that Skakel's trial attorney failed to present evidence of an alibi. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, a conversation with four candidates who would like to serve on the school board in the North Clackamas School District. Have you filled out your ballot? Are you taking it seriously? The school board is going to be determined by this election. That's coming up in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as you know, you have election ballots on your coffee table and you've received the voters pamphlet. The election is May the 16th. One of the things that I wanted to emphasize today in the next couple of segments is how important this election is. Um, half of the state's budget is spent on education, yet historically, School board elections have the lowest turnout. Now, how can that be? It's because we see the names, we see the ballots, and we don't necessarily respond. Well, school board members are unpaid, but they wield significant influence. And I think the pandemic helped all of us to appreciate, perhaps a bit more, the significance of the role that they play. Now, North Clackamas has four out of seven board seats open. This is a consequential election. So I've invited four of these individuals to join us here today to talk a little bit about what motivates them to run for office and uh, to commend them for their courage in running for public office and their willingness to serve in a position that is unpaid. So first of all, welcome to all four of you. Thank you. 
Now, it's a little awkward because our, our studio is limited. I'm going to talk to one of you at a time, and that might be the most effective way. I'm going to start with you, Angela. Um, Angela Peterson is running for position seven. Angela has been a student, an elementary school teacher, a substitute teacher, a home instructor, a tutor, a volunteer, and a parent. <laughs> you are engaged, an engaged member of the community and an education advocate. What inspired you to run for the Clackamas County School Board? Well, thank you so much for having me on, and um, I'll just get right to it. Um, having been in the district for so long um, as a teacher and then as a parent, um, I have witnessed firsthand uh, what has been going on in our public school system and more specifically our district. And what I'm seeing happening is a, um, a, a huge divide. Uh, I am seeing a uh, push for a, a political agenda, um, and um, it is really hurting our kids. It's taking precedence over the academic excellence that should be the focus and um, it's it's a really a toxic environment for staff members to work in as well. You, uh, in your effort to restore community engagement and a strong volunteer program, what's your view of the role of parents in preparing youth for academic success? Is there a role for them to play in all of this? We've seen some contention of late across country. Oh my goodness, parents are absolutely key to success of students. If they are not engaged and uh, welcomed in, and if they are not heard, their kids suffer. Their education suffers. Their socio, their uh, emotional status suffers. And that's what we're seeing in North Clackamas is that parents are not being engaged like they should be. Uh, they have kept volunteers out of the classroom since the pandemic, using the vaccine van- mandates as one of the um, obstacles. And um, we all know that that vaccine um was not necessary to be mandated in the first place. It's keeping a lot of, of us who are still not vaccinated out of the classrooms. Um, and I think that there's an intent behind that that is not healthy. Um, parents need to be brought back in, volunteering, uh, back into the school board uh, meetings that have been shut down by this current North Clackamas school board. Mm. Now, what do you see as the greatest challenge within the education system that you are uniquely Uh, qualified for and um, desire to address? Uh, Well, you know, it's coming down from the Oregon Department of Education, a curriculum that is wrought with political agendas, um, uh, intent on indoctrinating our kids to only believe one ideology. And if they uh, if they step out of line, uh, they will be corrected, shamed or humiliated and teachers that don't want to to teach to just one ideology are also being uh, shamed, ostracized. Um, And that's why I think part of the reason we're seeing so many teachers drop out of the teaching profession is that they just feel like this is um, not a diplomatic, uh, conducive to critical thinking in education. Now, what's your goal in serving in, uh, in the community as a school board member? What do you hope that you can achieve during your tenure? Well, I would like to see all four of us because it's only if the four of us can be elected that we can actually make some actual change. And when we get on that school board, we want to change the culture of the district to be a true place of uh, diversity and inclusion. And that means diversity of thought is welcome. And uh, that would be the number one objective to start off. Well, let's talk to Tara Nelson. She's running for position one. She's a longtime Clackamas resident. 
a parent volunteer in the school. She's worked inside the North Clackamas School District, and she's witnessed both the successes and the struggles students, parents, staff, and administrators uh, face. So, Tara, tell us why you're running for a seat on the North Clackamas School Board. This is actually my second time running. I have not given up on our children. The parent transparency and involvement needs to be there. The fundamentals of reading, writing, arithmetic, science, it all needs to be brought back to the classroom. Now, one of the things that um, your campaign material suggests is that you've witnessed both the, the, the successes and the struggles of students, parents, staff, and administrators. How will your approach address those struggles, the things that you have witnessed? I think every voice, every opinion, just because something isn't agreed on in conversation, it doesn't deminimize the other opinion. It's conversation that needs to be brought to. Everyone needs to be able to be safe to express and contribute. You know, one of the things that has impressed me about these four candidates is a desire to be inclusive, to collaborate, to welcome the community into the process of establishing the the way education is going to be um, practiced in North Clackamas. Now, let me ask you how um, uh, many parents have felt that they're no longer welcome at the table in public education. You've touched on this just a moment ago. How do you hope to implement better collaboration among education professionals, parents and students, which is a contentious issue these days? It goes back to the transparency, the simple, simple items. Let everyone be welcomed on campus let that information be given out ahead of time, how upcoming events are going to be available. Have with that communication, the knowledge, let the parents be involved, choose what's available instead of being told after the fact. It seems to me among the four of you, there seems to be a, a high regard for parents and the role that they can and should play in education. And that is so fundamental. I think, again, since the pandemic, many um, in our community are recognizing the significance of parents' contribution and when they're unwelcome that we lose something in this whole process. Now, your campaign emphasizes fiscal responsibility and the fundamentals. Talk a little bit about that. With the fiscal responsibility, the spending is over per child. The fiscal responsibility with the way items are being spent and shared, it's more research that you have to go into. With the school boards being half the state's budget, there's no invoice from input from the parents. And with our spending within our district, we're spending over per child. Our results and rates within the state of Oregon and nationwide is lower. We're not producing well-rounded educated children to be successful as they continue on, whether it be a career technical path, college, they, the money is not being appropriately spread out for all programs. Yeah. I think most taxpayers are happy to fund education when they see that education is producing students are prepared for adult life Mm -hmm. and independent living. So I appreciate that emphasis 
in that area. Now, we're going to take a break here in a moment, but let me just get my first question in for Amy Reiner, who is running for position three. Amy is the parent of a special needs child and fraternal twins. She is a seasoned sales professional, a youth soccer coach, and an HOA board member. And you've decided you want to run for the school board. (laughs) Again, I commend you, the four of you, for your courage in making that decision. How does your parenting and professional experience inform your priorities and your approach as a school board member? Uh, that's such a, a great question. And, and thank you, uh, for allowing me to speak here today and, and have, uh, a voice, um, especially uh, a voice to parents. I know we all talked about not having that parent and community involvement within the, the school districts. Um, and that's vital. And that, you know, would be my number one approach stepping onto the board is really bringing in the collaboration of two parties together. And, and coming up with strategies and pathways to move our kids forward academically. What concerns me right now and what I'm willing to tackle once I get elected is we are underperforming in both reading and writing. And yet we are overspending. Like Tara mentioned, North Clackamas School District is spending $23,000 per student when the state average is around that fifteen sixteen thousand $16,000 mark. So from a business standpoint, and we talk economics, I'm not getting my rate of return when my child can't read and do math when they graduate. And that's a concern. And as a taxpayer, I would be more concerned at the fact that this school district is going to come with a levy, a school levy in the next few years and ask you to chip in on, on more tax funding to help fund schools. And the problem with that is over the last school tax levy that was passed in North Clackamas School District, within five years, they projected 18,000 students within the school district. We're below 16,000. So who's going to pick up the difference? Taxpayers. Mm -hmm. And if taxpayers are picking up the difference, we want accountability. And it starts with the school board. And it starts with us four. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. We need to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. Again, with me in studio, Angela Peterson. She's running for position seven. Tara Nelson, position one. Amy Reiner. We'll continue to talk with her in a moment. And Courtney Swersbin, position two, all for North Clackamas. Uh, school district. Now, part of our motivation here today is if you're not in the North Clackamas School District, you are in some school district. You need to pay attention. Find out what these candidates are uh, are supporting, what they intend to do, and vote. Be informed and vote. You got the uh, pamphlet. You got the ballot. Let's move forward. Okay, quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. And we are talking with some candidates for the North Clackamas School District Education Board. Hey, these are people who are willing to serve, to represent the interests of the community and to do so in a way that is going to benefit the community. So anyway, we were uh, just before the break talking with Amy Reiner. She's running for position three. Uh, let me just ask you the, the point blank question. Why are you uh, running for a seat with the North Clackamas School Board? Because I want change. I want better academic results. I want children to not suffer from... Uh, confidence or anxiety or depression because they're not ready to enter in the the real world Mm -hmm. and the real world could be a four-year college a two-year community college a trade school or you can go right into the workforce 
But I want them to have that confidence builder that they've got everything that they need. The toolbox is loaded and they're ready for their transition into the real world because sometimes the real world isn't kind. And, and you have to be able to work through uh, that adversity to, to ultimately get your, your end goal, whatever that goal may be. Um, but mostly, you know, I'm advocating for uh, my son. As you mentioned, I do have a special needs son. And um, we moved up here four years ago uh, knowing that North Clackamas School District was great with special needs. And we've had, you know, phenomenal responses from the district in crafting his individual uh, uh, plan in order to uh, meet his goals. And the they've, IEP, uh-huh. yes, they've helped with that. And it's been a blessing. But when COVID hit, uh, we realized quickly that the special needs children were left behind and they were left severely behind and they were the last to go back to the classroom. And in fact, Oregon was one of the last states to go back into classrooms. So now we're looking at a two to three year deficit in education with no real solution on how to catch these children and and the students up. And that's where I come in is uh, with strategy, alignment, partnering, collaboration and discussion. I'm going to force the hand. We need to make some changes, and we'll get there with the changes, and we'll get there with these four. What you just described, I think, is one of the major concerns that parents and members of the community have is the fact that children were left behind following the pandemic, and some were left more more seriously behind than others. How do we catch up? And uh, whether or not there's there's a desire on the part of those who are serving in the school board to to acknowledge that and do the hard work of moving forward in a way um, that will make that investment mm-hmm. that we all make in education work out. Now, your stated focus is to maximize student productivity and learning in a diverse population. Now, how do you hope to do that as a member of the Clackamas School Board? By bringing all affiliated groups under one umbrella. Mm-hmm. bringing the students together, collaborating, getting the creative thinking flowing through and and understanding that not everyone is going to have the same decision or the same thought process as you. We all are brought up in, in different, you know, socioeconomic families and, and we all come from a different, you know, moral fortitude. And we have to realize that your beliefs and my beliefs may be different, but how can we ultimately get to that goal together and, and, and in a productive manner and, and not, you know, dragging people uh, along the way? And, and, and what I mean by that is, is you know, there's been a lot of, of bullying within schools, not just North Clackamas in particular, but all over. You know, how, how can we get the bullying to stop, yeah. right? And and how can we get the children to feel safe at school where, you know, they're not creating, you know, the anxiety or the or, or you know, um, depression, you know, with with the bullying that happens. But every day on social media, I see some sort of mom concerned that they're getting ready to pull their kids out of North Clackamas School District because of the bullying. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this is that we're talking about North Clackamas School District. This is statewide. Mm-hmm. If you have children in another school district, you need to be aware of the challenges and the impact that you can have by simply participating in an election when you get to choose who the decision makers are going to be. I'm encouraging you to um, to maximize your impact by voting in an election that typically has a lower voter turnout. Now, 
I want to talk with uh, Courtney Swersman. She's running for position two. Courtney is a small business owner. She's the mother of two. She comes to the Pacific Northwest from the Midwest. Her husband and children were all educated in the North Clackamas School District, and she's uh, fallen in love with this community, and that motivates her to want to serve. Now, let me ask you what I've asked the others. Why are you running for a seat in the North Clackamas School Board? Yeah, I'm running because I have noticed that since we moved here that there is a shift that has happened in this district. And I think that we need to focus on the children and not politics and reinstating education, um, the minimum educational standard um, and holding every being able to hold everyone accountable um, for what is happening within our district. And that includes the teachers, the administrators, the students and parents. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Everyone. Now you are an advocate for reinstating minimum standards for graduation, inclusivity and accountability for the success of students. Now how Mm -hmm. might you implement those priorities if you serve on the North Clackamas school board? Yeah. um, I think that uh, when I talk about the inclusion and politics, like getting the politics out of the schools, getting focusing on education more than the social uh, affinity groups that they are creating and then we're spending money on. So I would reevaluate what is going on and why our budget, what, why we're having budget cuts and why we're having to cut teachers Mm -hmm. and, but we can create all of these groups. So I just, um, that's something that I would uh, look into. Now, for you, how important are parents in that equation? Oh, they're super important. Um, everyone knows, well, not everyone knows, but <laughs> everyone, should know. everyone should know that it's parents are vital in the decision making in their child's life. It's um, how I can't even imagine if I didn't have my parents to like guide me to the position I am today. I wouldn't be here without them. So um, I think it's important. Now, you mentioned a moment ago that you noticed a shift in the district over the last six years. That really predates the pandemic, but certainly was exacerbated by that major disruption. Um, How do you hope to bring things back to a standard where parents can say, yes, my children are advancing as they should. They can read. They can write. We're looking forward to making decisions, not based on their inability, but their capacity to learn and grow and and flourish. Mm-hmm. How do you hope to reverse that that shift? Yeah. So one thing the state of Oregon has done is they passed uh, the bill where it lowered the standards of uh, the educational yes. system. And they did that in the they did that in the um on the backs of the colored kids so black brown um indigenous people and they did that and that's why it's passed so my one of my things is as amy has stated before and i love how she says it she's like they they have lowered these standards and then they say that they have this high graduation rate and it's not true they just lowered the standards so that they could say that they have this high graduation rate. So I think one thing um, is true is that we need to reinstate um, state testing. 
Yeah, and high, yeah. high standards. And, I, don't yeah, get me started sta- on that law that was passed. Yeah, <laughs> As a I black know. Girl, I'm, I'm I know. Detailed. I'm mad. I'm like fired. I'm not mad. Yeah, I'm it's, fired it's up. Insulting is what <laughs> it, it is. is. It's insulting. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, I, I have to say, the four of you are making <laughs> yeah. a formidable coalition in the North Clackamas School District. Now, let yeah. me ask you about the teachers' unions. I think a lot of times when people are making decisions on their ballot, the first thing they look for is the teachers' union supporting the candidate as the measure of someone who will uh, represent them well on the school board. Is that a fair measure? That is a a real misconception that I would like to clarify. Um, As a teacher, I can tell you that um, there was a Supreme Court decision made back in 2018, so fairly recently, that uh, frees teachers up from being mandated to pay for the teachers' union's uh, coverage. They had been mandated all these years to pay into that. Uh, it turns out that the teachers' unions, if you hadn't known, uh, are completely a, an arm of the Democrat Party, and they are very politically uh, motivated. They have a, a very uh, specific agenda that they are pushing. Um, and so when somebody says, oh, good, the teachers' unions backed up a candidate, um, that's, a, that's you know not actually a good representation for teachers. Not all teachers are going to be um, – Taking the uh, not all of there's actually been a 20 percent decline in Mm -hmm. um, Oregon uh, teachers being in the Oregon Education Association Union. um, And that is growing because more and more teachers are realizing the teachers unions don't have their best interests in in that mind uh, and that they're also definitely not representing the students. Uh, Right now, we've got our Oregon Teachers Union uh, is standing behind House Bill 2002. And that bill, um, if you haven't heard about, is removing more parental rights yes. and allowing the government to to dictate what medical procedures are done to children as young as 10. With or without their parents' mm-hmm. knowledge. It, without, yeah, yeah, completely without their yeah. knowledge, but going to force their insurance to pay for maybe a sex transition or maybe an abortion as young mm-hmm. as 10. It's just inconceivable. Our teachers' unions are backing that. So the, if you're backed by a teacher's union, we don't want you mm-hmm. in yeah. leadership. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, again, I, I want to encourage our listeners today to think carefully and to think critically about the ballot, the vote you're about to cast for individuals who will serve on the school board. Don't uh, give that responsibility to a teacher's union to just assume they have done due diligence, that they represent the best interest of the education system. Do your homework yourselves and find out who these candidates are. We've highlighted four of them here today who together hope to uh, do some significant work in North Clackamas County on the, uh, the, the school board. And I hope that you will uh, consider them if you're in North uh, Clackamas, if you're in Multnomah County or where you happen to be, that you'll take full advantage of this opportunity to cast an informed ballot. Well, Angela Peterson running for position seven, Tara Nelson position one, Amy Reiner position three, Courtney Swersben position two. I wish you all the best of luck. And again, I commend you for your courage in running and your willingness to serve our community uh, at some great cost. For people who haven't really known what a political campaign can be like, it's at some considerable cost. So I thank you for that, commend you, and thank you for joining us here today. Appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. thank you. All right. Ballots are due on May 16th. Do your homework, folks. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. 
is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, today is the National Day of Prayer. It's always the first Thursday in May. The nation's faithful renew prayer. They turn to God with heartfelt requests for the country and also give thanks for all that we enjoy as Americans. We're not entitled. It's not guaranteed that we'll have it into the future, but we express our gratitude. Jason Yates, who's the Colorado-based CEO of My Faith Votes, a nonpartisan movement that activates Christians to vote in elections, shared his prayer um, for this occasion. Dear Lord, we come before you today to lift our beloved nation. We pray for your wisdom and guidance for our leaders, that they may make decisions that honor you, align with you and your will, and promote your righteousness. We pray for our fellow citizens that they would recognize your sovereignty, humble themselves, and turn from sin so that you will heal our land as you have promised. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to show compassion to the vulnerable, and to seek the well-being of all. We pray for your protection over our country, our people, and our institutions. We ask that you shield us from harm, both from external threats and from the sins and temptations that undermine our society. Above all, we pray that your love and grace would be evident in your people and our nation, that we may be shining light to the world and a beacon of hope and peace. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Author and Pastor Greg Laurie of Harvest Christian Fellowship in California and Hawaii shared a video on Twitter today as he walked the grounds of the Mount Vernon, the home of President George Washington. Please remember to pray for America today, he said in part of that video. Referencing George Washington, he added he believed it was the Lord himself who directed him. Laurie then quoted the first president of the United States saying to the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of Christian. He continued, our nation is in trouble now and we have so veered from the distinguished character of Christian, if you will. He also said we have forgotten those roots that this nation was built on and the soil of liberty. It's time for us to really pray for our nation that we would return to the Lord again. We have never been a perfect nation, but always there have been believers. Referencing Second Chronicles seven fourteen, he reminds us America needs to be healed, but the Lord's uh, the God. But that's God's part. He says, "I'll forgive your sins. I'll heal your land." He also said, "Here's our part, and this is God speaking. You need to humble yourselves and turn from your wicked ways and pray." That's what this day is all about: to pray for our nation. And let's start with you and me as we pray for America. Pastor Jesse Bradley of Grace Community Church in Auburn, Washington, noted that what is woven deep into the fabric of our country's history, Americans have been intentional about seeking God. America needs prayer because America needs God. Our spiritual lives set the tone for every other aspect of our community's culture and country. Prayer is relational. It is a conversation with the living God. It is not a box to check on the to-do list, a formula, a superstition, or a mechanical ritual. He also said prayer is not a performance or manipulative. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Father, Father God has a throne of grace. Jesus lives to intercede for us at the right hand of the Father. And the Holy Spirit communicates our longings beyond the words we speak. Prayer is powerful because God is gracious. Prayer can change a nation, a city, a family, a hardened heart. In the Bible, David was king who prayed for the nation, wrote down his prayers, and empowered people to pour out their hearts 
to God. Jesus told his disciples many times to keep praying and don't give up. Jesus knew how easily we can be distracted, discouraged, or complacent spiritually. He also said the disciples literally fell asleep when he asked them to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then there was an ancient proverb, much prayer, much power, no prayer, no power. Bradley offered a way that we can pray for our nation today and every day. There is an acronym, ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication that can provide a helpful framework. The Lord's Prayer is another roadmap with prayer, he noted. Listening to God is another meaningful aspect of prayer. Meditation is an intentional focus with our mind to think about what is good, noble, and pure, noting Philippians 4.8 in the Bible. The goal is not to empty your mind, but to fill it with inspiring, truthful, biblical content. You can choose a Bible verse which will nourish your soul and let the love of and the truth of God marinate and enjoy the deep of the, of the experience. Renewing your mind will renew your words, your attitudes, and relationships. Judge Phil Jen, who's president of the Southern Evangelical Seminary based in Charlotte, North Carolina, said in an email on Thursday that we are in a time of urgent need for prayer. Perhaps at no other time since the turmoil our nation suffered in the run-up to and the culmination of the Civil War has our nation been in such need of prayer and divine intervention. On this National Day of Prayer, my petition is that America will turn her heart and head to the God of the Bible. Add judge, added the judge, if you will only do this one thing, I hope it will not be too late to turn the tide of confusion and despair in which we now exist. We are living in troubled times, but the good news is we still have access to the throne of grace. In fact, we are invited to come boldly before that throne not because of our merit, because we've earned access to a holy God, but because through his son, Jesus Christ, we have been given his righteousness. And that has given us audience to the king, the one who hung the stars in, in uh, space, who is the Lord of every planet, every insect, every bird, every fish, everything. And he invites us to come into his presence boldly to make our petitions known to humble ourselves before him to worship and praise and adore him because he is worthy of all of those things i hope you have a fervent and active prayer life today this one day of the year we corporately focus our attention on the needs of our nation it's the national day of prayer we've been invited by our, by our nation's leaders to acknowledge our need of and dependence on god so I hope you'll take some time today, whether it's at the close of the day, as you're preparing for your meal at the end of the day, at some point, uh, you and uh, as well as so many others, thousands of others across the fruited plain who have humbled themselves before a holy God on this national day of prayer and ask him to heal our land when we humble ourselves and pray. What an honor it is to be able to talk about it freely to do it freely. There have been events held throughout the day, uh, not only here in the state of Oregon, where for the last 10 hours, there's been perpetual prayer for our nation coming from different quarters of the state. But all across the country, men, women, and children have been praying. And what a joy it is to know that when we ask, he hears us and he loves us and he cares. His hand is on the future of this nation.
Well, we are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Dave King for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.